you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to Genesis chapter 22. Uh, we've been thinking about Advent through this lens that every story in the Bible whispers the name of Jesus. That whether you're reading Revelation 22 or Genesis 22, all of the Bible is ultimately about Jesus. And so this morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage and, Lord willing, uh, see Jesus in it. I've entitled our time uh, with this uh, question or this idea that I want to uh, put before you. Do you love God's good, good gifts more than you trust in our good God? In our passage, we're going to read about a good gift given to Abraham in the form of Isaac. And we're going to see a testing that the father does to Abraham that I wouldn't want to make the case to you. It's, it's getting down to that answer right there. Who do you love more? And who do you trust more? And who do you need more? Is it a son or am I sufficient? Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, You stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we'll come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And Abraham said, here I am, my son. And Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar, on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, 
By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men. They arose and they went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, uh, we turn our hearts to your word and uh, we need you. We need you by your spirit to be our teacher this morning. Father, we need faith, faith to believe that this is your word, that this is not made up, that this event really did happen. We need faith to believe that you are the author of your word. And we need faith to believe that you use your word as a means of rebuking us and correcting us and training us in godliness and teaching us. And so would you be pleased to use a, a, a frail servant to bring about your beautiful work for your people. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, start our time by looking at the end of this passage. If you notice the end of the passage, everything fares out well. Abraham gets assurance that the father will be absolutely and utterly faithful to him and to his offspring. Abraham gets to leave that mountain and go back home with his son and his two other young men and the donkey. He gets to go back to Sarah, his wife, uh, with their son. And if you look at those random list of names right after the passage that we just read, that, that notice what it says, and it was told to him that after these things, behold, Milcah has also borne children to your brother Nahor. In other words, that looks really random because it's a genealogy smack dab after that account. But if you read it closely, you read Rebekah's name. And Rebekah is going to be the wife of Isaac. And so put, put the picture together. That life is going to end well for Abraham. He's going to die in a few chapters. As a matter of fact, in the very next chapter, his own wife is going to die. And we get this glimpse. You're going to return home. Things will be intact. You're my servant. And when you go into the ground, I even have a wife that I'm raising up for your son. Fret not. Well done, my faithful servant. That's how the end of Genesis 22 is functioning. It is functioning in a way to let us know that Abraham, though a mixed bag, he fared out well in the end. And is that not what you want? It's not one of our deepest longings that when we close our eyes in this life, that we open them to see Jesus. Is that not one of our deepest longings, that when we go into the grave, that God will be covenantally faithful to his own name and will continue working in our families even when we are in the ground? That's the message that Abraham gets in this passage. It's going to end up well with you. 
Don't we want that? Here's the good news of Advent. The coming of Jesus from the right hand of the Father to this earth, that is your guarantee that you will make it to be with him forever. You can't work your way up. You can't parent wise enough. You can't make all the right decisions. Your only hope and my only hope is that someone has come to rescue us, to bring us home. And if that's really true, he is the most prized gift ever given. Now, the case that I want to make to you this morning is that journey home, because that's what I want to have in the backdrop, is Abraham is getting to see it's going to end well. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. That journey there is going to be full of threats. And the threat in this passage is not what we think. It's not some sinister or, or heinous sin that he's going to fall into that's the threat. I want to make the case to you in this passage that the threat is actually the very good things God has already given him. The good things that God has given can be a threat. Now, let me show you. Notice how the passage starts. It starts with those words, after these things. Now, that's a temporal marker. If you write in your Bible, circle that and put an arrow going back. That, that's Moses' way. We, we believe Moses wrote Genesis. This is Moses' way of saying, hey, you cannot understand Genesis 22 until you understand the events that happened before Genesis 22. These things happened, and then Genesis 22. So the question is, well, what happened? A lot, right? How many men did Abraham circumcise? A lot. Genesis 17, how many people died from God's wrath in Sodom and Gomorrah? A lot. Everybody except for Lot and his two daughters. His own wife even died. How many possessions did Abraham have at this moment? A lot. Because when Abimelech was going to take and sleep with Sarah, the, the, the Lord appeared and says, hey, if you touch him, you're a dead man. As a matter of fact, I'm closing up all the wombs of all the women under your kingdom. Ain't none of y'all having kids. And you better go to Abraham and ask Abraham to pray for you. And when he prays for you, then I will open the wombs again. And it actually says that Abimelech gave this dude like money, like, huh, man, here. As a matter of fact, and you and your family, you can actually stay on my land free of charge. How much joy did Abraham have? A lot. Because guess what happened in Genesis 21? That son that God had promised him was born. And how much protection and security did Abraham have? A lot. How do we know? Look at the passage right before it. The same man who took his wife, King Abimelech, comes back to Abraham a little later, and he's like, brother, Matter of fact, I got my, my commander of my army with me because I know you're God and I know the protection over you. So just in case, I'm going to have me some, some muscle with me. But his muscle ain't real muscle compared to the Lord. You get the point. But, but anyway, what does Abimelech come to Abraham and say? 
He says, make a covenant with me that you will not treat me deceitfully, that we will dwell in peace. And as a matter of fact, that well, that water well that you dug up and you struck water, matter of fact, I'm going to give that back to you. And it's yours. And that means nothing to us who live in the city and we just turn on water and it comes. But in Abraham's day, how did you get water? You had to have a well. And to have a well means that for a season, you can dwell in safety. Your animals can dwell in safety. Your family can dwell in safety. And here's what I think is happening. I think Isaac was actually raised in Beersheba in the land of the Philistines under the protection of Abimelech. Making sense? After these things, Abraham has the good life right now, y'all. And then the Lord comes to him, and we'll get to this. He says, sacrifice your son, your only son. And then it says, whom you love. And we got one thing to deal with here. Why is it saying that Isaac is his only son? Genesis 17 told us that he had Ishmael, and it calls Ishmael his son three times in that chapter. So why now in Genesis 22 is God saying your son, your only son? It's because in Genesis 21, guess what had to happen to Ishmael? He had to be sent out. Why? Because Isaac was weaned. And when Isaac was weaned, Abraham threw a party for him. And Hagar and Ishmael were laughing at Isaac, and we don't know why. And Sarah says, enough. They got to go. They ain't, I don't know where they got to go, but they can't stay here no more. And Abraham sent them away. And the Lord came to him. And I, and I, and I think that's a message, y'all, that had to hurt. But sometimes when we take matters into our own hands, sometimes that consequence, right? God doesn't take away that. Like, that still hurts. And then the Lord comes to him and says, by the way, I got him. I'm going to take care of him. But it's still painful. And now you get to our passage, and I think there's a time gap between Genesis 21 and Genesis 22. I don't think Isaac in this passage is three or four or five or six or seven. I actually think he's a teenager. Here's why. He was weaned in Genesis 21. And in Abraham's day, the most vulnerable time for a child's life was ages one through five. And rabbinical tradition says that because of that, moms would nurse. We think a mom, if, if we see a mom nursing and a kid is three, we're like, what? Like, what are you doing, right? In his day, you was five or six still nursing, right? And notice what he's called in the passage. I don't know about your Bibles, but look down there right there in verse five. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy. And my boy has a three on top. And if you go to the bottom, it says that that could be translated young man. On top of this, look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering 
and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went of them together. Now get the image. Isaac is carrying the wood, y'all. Abraham gives that to him. You carry the wood. I got the fire and the knife. Now, why would he need fire and the knife? Because we're going to learn that the burnt offering had to be cut up into pieces, and then it had to be consumed with fire. And so you have the father holding the fire, the father holding the knife, but Isaac is a young boy strong enough to carry the wood himself. Now, put all of this together. Abraham is in a sweet spot. Show me this uh, slide, Greg. Remember, this, this is a, a pyramid that I've, I've been thinking through this week. God's promise to Abraham is I will give you land and I will make your name great. I will bless you to be a blessing. I will curse those who curse you and then nations shall come from you through this son. Now, I want you to think about Genesis 22 from a partial fulfillment standpoint. Abraham has land, doesn't he? He's dwelling in Beersheba under the authority of Abimelech, who just made a treaty with him and told him, hey, you can keep that well to take care of your family. He has a great name. This higher official wants to come and make a covenant with a lower man. His name is great. Has God not blessed those who bless Abraham thus far? When Abimelech freed him, the Lord freed their wounds. When Abimelech was against Abraham, the Lord closed their wounds. And he has a son. By the way, who's just been weaned in Genesis 21, by the way, who's probably a teenager who's strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. In other words, God has been faithful. This is a watermark chapter in Abraham's life. Everything you've wanted, you're seeing partially fulfilled right here. And here's what I want us to consider. And this is precisely the danger. When God gives us good gifts, isn't it tempting to take more delight in the gifts than the one who gave them? Isn't it tempting to take more delight and more care when we get kids and we get a house and we get a mortgage and we get a job and then we look up and we're keeping up the house and we're going to work and we're doing the kids stuff and all of a sudden the God who gave us all of that is back here like, hey, 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 what's going on? Isn't that the temptation? Here's what Tim Keller says about this passage. He says, Abraham's affections had become adoration. The center of his life was starting to shift. God was not saying that you cannot love your son, but that you must not turn that love into a counterfeit one. In other words, emotions are few and far between in this passage. But one thing we know is when God comes to Abraham, he says, your son, your only son, 
your special son, your unique son, whom you love. It's as if God is putting his finger right on the thing that means the most to Abraham. And here's the catcher. All of God's promises to Abraham, they actually came through Isaac. If there is no Isaac, there is no nations. If there is no Isaac, there is nothing else. Oh, so what God is doing, he's going right to the thing that means the most. And said, which one is it, dog? I know of no other time in the year where we're not tempted in this way than right now. You see, if you're tired and weary from work, you know how you can look at Advent? Oh, God, I just got to make it across the finish line, then I get this time off. And it's all about the time off. I ain't got to see those kids I teach no more. I ain't got to go to the office. I ain't, you know, right, really, like we think like that. I know teachers in here. I, I know already. I done seen the memes y'all posted already. <laughs> or Advent is a time to reconnect with family. You got kids who live everywhere. And you're planning this sweet and special Christmas dinner. And flights are being arranged and calendars are getting lined up. All so that your children can make it home. Or maybe you're single, and the holidays that, 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 that you look forward to them because you want to have connection and conversation and stay up talking into the night. Or maybe your spiritual love language or your love language is gifts. And maybe you got this, this, this note file of every single thing you've wanted this week, and you're sliding hints to everybody, hey, I want this, I want this, I want this. Do you hear? I'm telling you what I want. And we look at Christmas like the day, or we look at Advent like the season where I get to get all that I want for me. And here's the thing. I'm not knocking none of that. Family is good. Gifts Receiving gifts can be good. Rest for your body can be good. But here is the mistake. It's not ultimate. Never has been, never will be. It's tempting. We can touch and we can play and we can hug and we can talk with, we can be with, we can wear these things, and, and all these things are, we can touch and see it, and then it's easy for the God that we can't see to kind of recede to the back. And Advent becomes a season where we make much of his gifts and little of the giver. I'm Talking to myself today, right? Second thing we see in the passage, and, and I want to argue that this is a gracious test of the giver of all good things. Now, it's a gracious test of the giver of all good things. 
Now, why am I calling it gracious? And why am I, calling, why am I combining these two things together? The next slide, Greg. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That's pretty impressive. But did you notice something is missing from that pyramid? Next slide. It's the base of the pyramid. You want to know what the base of God's blessing to Abraham is? It's not land. It's not a house. It's not even your children. It's not even a spouse. It's not safety. It's not security. Those things that you see in there that we tend to focus on, we think that that's the base of God's goodness to us. And here's what the other part of Genesis tells us, and I will be your God and the God to your children, and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And so here is what it means. It means that when we cherish God's gifts above that promise right there to be our God, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And here is what God is doing. He's testing. And you got to have a theology for a God who tests because you cannot just believe that the advent of Christ teaches us that God comes to bless us. That's last week. God comes down and it's to bless Abraham. And you see in Genesis 22, it says that God spoke. And this time... It's God is coming as a tester. I want to see, do you love what I'm giving you more than you love me? And I don't want you to just say it. I'm going to put you in a situation where you're going to have to show it. Is this not what James says in James chapter 1? Is this not what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 that says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing, the genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus. You have to have a theology that the same God who blesses you is also a God who wants to show us what's in our hearts, who wants to us to wrestle with, who do you love more? Who's your treasure? Is it what I give you or is it me? And that's what you see happening in the passage. The Lord is testing Abraham, not necessarily because he doesn't know what's in Abraham's heart. The Lord knows all things. It's to show Abraham and us what's in ours. And this is a complex passage. No other place except for one place do we see a human being commanded to be an offering. This is always reserved for animals. This is substitutionary atonement, right? And in this case, it's a burnt offering. A burnt offering was always cut. 
into pieces. It was always put on a fire. It was always burnt up completely with nothing left so that the fragrant aroma from the offering ascended to the nostrils of God, so to speak. And it was never, ever a human. And so on one hand, we look at this like, Lord, you're going against your word. You're commanding him to do what you don't command anywhere else. And I get it, right? There is some mystery here on why God, of all things he uses to test Abraham, chooses this. And there's something beautiful in it. But it's not murder. It's a burnt offering. And while there's much mystery around it, one thing that is not mysterious is that Abraham would go up this mountain for all sakes and purposes. He would not return home with his son. And that would have been the undoing of everything else because it hinges so Abraham thinks off of Isaac. And just so that you don't think I'm in left field, Ralph Davis says, let's make some allowances here. Individual believers today are not exactly in the same position as Abraham. He was the head of the covenant people. And in that sense, none of us are called to sacrifice our sons. However, there is continuity. There are still Abrahamic-like situations that God's people face where the Lord seems to test us calling us to account on those things that we value most, not sacrificing our son on an altar, but when everything we thought we knew about him was up for grabs, when he puts our own faith in the furnace and he tests us. Think about it. And so as we think about Advent, what does it sound like to hear this word from the same child, this, this child that we honor and worship and would bow before this Jesus who comes into the earth. How would, what does this sound like when he becomes a grown man and he says, if you love mother or father or sister or brother or yourself more than me, you cannot be my disciple. Doesn't that sound a whole lot like Jesus saying the same thing the Father is saying? That these good things I give you, parenting is good, having children is good, but don't make the mistake of thinking that that is the best thing you have going for you. And so Jesus says, I'm going to call you to account on it over and over and over and over again. Who do you love the most, what I give you or who I am? And I know the testing is hard, harder now. We see the ads. We feel the pressure. We want to be with people we love. We want good things. It's getting pushed at us. But here's a question to ponder. What if there was no break from school? And you couldn't look forward to those two weeks off. That's gone. And what if, by some stretch of the imagination, there's absolutely nothing under the Christmas tree? 
And what if, by some stretch of the imagination, that you can't make it home and you're stuck on Christmas Day in your house alone? Do you still want Christmas? Does your heart still find joy when we strip down everything? The question is, is the coming of Jesus enough? Is that enough to make your heart sing? Even if God takes away every single thing on that list and he himself remains, would this still be a sweet and beautiful time of year for you? That's the question. The last thing I want us to look at, thank you, Greg, is the faith of the tested one and the faithfulness of the testing one. The faith of the tested one. Abraham is being tested, but it's in the faithfulness of the one testing him. Now, we know just from human understanding of, of life that this would have been a hard thing to do. It says, your son, your only son whom you love, go and offer him up. But did you pay attention to how, as a, how matter-of-factly this passage reads? It doesn't say that Abraham wept. It doesn't say he wrestled. It doesn't say he cried. It doesn't say he delayed. It doesn't, it doesn't say any of that. And here's the thing about Genesis. When you're reading Genesis, it, it's always narrating the inner workings of his heart. When the Lord told him, right, to, when he went in to, 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 and he lied about his wife, it was because he feared for his life. Fear is being narrated there. When the Lord told him, right, to wait 25 years on a son, we're told that in year 10, he acted, right? He acted out and took matters into his own hand. We're told over and over and over again in Abraham's life, when, when the Lord says, hey, this time next year I'm coming and y'all going to have a kid. It says he fell on his face and then he laughed. Do you see how Genesis is narrating when God comes and did you read? Now, take all of that that we know about his past. Now, read this passage. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering. Look at verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place for which God had called him, told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw that place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over and worship. Look at verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the, they both went together. 
Look down to verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order. And then Abraham bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Do you see how Genesis is reading here? It's reading and it's not concerned with emotion. It's actually emphasizing how resolute he acted. You say, sacrifice my son, I'm going to do it. You say, go get wood, I'm going to go get it and cut it. You say, go to that mountain, I'm going to walk and follow three days until I get there. Do you, do you see what's happening in the passage? That something is different about this man in this passage. And do you see Isaac's response? Now, look, y'all, if Isaac is 10 to 13, like I think he is, you do know he's old enough to push an old 100-year-old man down. And he's old, and he's fast enough, right? A 100-year-old man ain't going to catch no teenager on your best day, right? Did you notice Isaac is letting his daddy bind him up? You say so, it's cool. This ought to floor us how this is written. We know he loves Isaac, but there are two phrases in this passage that shows us he loves Isaac a lot, but he trusts and he loves the father more. Did you notice what, the, what he said right there? And I skipped it on purpose. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and we will worship, and he says, and we will come back again. That's the first one. And then look at the second one. It's right over there when Isaac says, my father, here I am, my son. I see the fire. I see the wood, but where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And it says, okay, so Isaac said, all right, dad, I got you. Do you see what's going on? He loves his son, but he trusts his God. Hebrew says that Abraham even reckoned that God would raise him from the dead. You catch that? Did you notice the three different ways God is called in this passage? He's called G-O-D, which is Elohim, which means the creator God, the one who created all things out of nothing with his word. It's as if Abraham believes, look, I know you created all things out of nothing, and I was 100 years old, and you opened the wife of my womb, I meant the womb of my wife, and you closed all the wombs of those other women, and when I prayed, you opened them back up, you control the body because you control everything. Nothing exists that does not exist by your word. And so even if my son does die, I will, I does die, I will obey you because I believe even you will raise him from the dead. And Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. It's right here, y'all. Put this all together. He's called God Elohim. He's called capital L-O-R-D, which is Yahweh, the covenantally faithful God. And he's called Yahweh 
Jehovah Jireh, the one who will provide. And so in Abraham's mind, his faith is on 10. And God has got him there to that point by being faithful. Faithful, faithful, faithful. I called you and I'm faithful. When you got in trouble and you lied because you wouldn't trust me, I was faithful. When you took matters into your own hand, I was faithful. When you lied again for the second time, I was faithful. When you prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah, I was faithful to save your family. When you went to war to rescue your son Lot, I was faithful to provide for you. In other words, what you're getting in this mixed bag is this man later in life who gets it. The lights go off and he sees whom have I in heaven but you. And there is nothing on earth I desire but you. I, my heart may fail, my flesh may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Abraham gets it. And if we understand what Jesus says in John chapter 8, Jesus says, Abraham, look forward to my day. My day. Not the day of his son. He looked forward to my day. And he was glad. Here is the message of Advent and Christmas. God wanted a burnt offering that day. And God provided all that he wanted that day. He provided the ram that was caught in the thicket. He provided that. What God wanted, he himself ultimately provides. And you can trace that theme from here all the way to the cross of Christ. God wants complete love of him. He does not want us exchanging the truth of God for the lie and worshiping created things and not the creator. That pyramid that I just showed you, he wants us to always, without, with, with all devotion, never competition, to have him above all. And here is the truth of all of our hearts. We're like Abraham. We're a mixed bag. Some days we trust. And some days we don't. And here's the bad news. God's standard is never lowered because of our mistakes. And so to be technical here, unbelief and idolatry, it's repulsive in the sight of the Lord. Abraham may have had a good day here, but he got a whole bunch of bad days behind him. And here's the good news. God says, I'm going to do it. Did you see the similarities in this passage as they point us to God's greatest gift? They took a three-day journey. And our Lord and Savior was in the ground for three days. Isaac carried his own wood on his own back. And our Savior had wood put to the, his own back. Matter of fact, the weight of that cross was so heavy, 
he had to get somebody else to help him carry it. And when he got to the place of the skull, he himself was put back on that wooden cross. And that ram that was caught in a thicket, I was talking to a young lady after service. She's an artist and she was doing some research. And that image for a thicket, it's thorns. The ram was caught in thorns. And our Savior had a crown of thorns put on his head. And that place, Mount Moriah, is in the vicinity of the temple. Some would go so far as to say it is the place where the Lord Jesus Christ would go on a cross and die. And on the cross, we don't have a father like Abraham who was about to offer up his son. The father from heaven does not stop. He actually carries out his own wrath on his own son for people like you and me who constantly worship the created things and not the creator. God the Father says, I will put all of that on my son and you have in Jesus a greater Isaac. Who says, Daddy, I trust you. I will lay down my life because I believe you will raise it up again. And I believe through me, the nations will be blessed. Here is the good news of Advent to us all this morning. You're going to struggle with misaligned priorities. You are and you will. And the good news to you, all that God desires, God has given already in Jesus. Isn't that freeing? Abraham can hold loosely to God's good things. If you give them, I receive them. If you take them, I give them away. Why? Because he knows the greatest thing. That's that you are my God now and forever. And so I don't know what your Advent season is going to be like. But I can assure you it's not better than the gospel on its best day. And if it's hard and painful, there is no pain and hardness that the gospel itself does not speak peace over. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we bless you. We love you. And I do pray that we will be a people who cherish the giver more than your good gifts. So help us, Holy Spirit. Amen.